It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Welcome to another Tim Talk podcast by Celtic Down Under. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me tonight is our special guest from the uh, Celtic FC Appreciation podcast, joined by their host, Gaz Smith. How are you going, Gaz? Yeah, not bad, not bad, mate. How's yourself? Oh, yeah, getting by. Starting to get a bit uh, bit fresh and cold and everything over here, snowing like crazy, so good fun. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not too bad over here. It's, it's not been raining for a while, so it's... It's, it's the start of our summer. Had to bring it up because I can see daylight and sunshine in the background. I'm like, <laughs> what's that? We've got snow like happening crazy amounts of two hours away from my house and having a day over 12 degrees. So, yeah, let's let's leave the uh, weather talk there and let's get into some football. So what we do with these Tim Talk podcasts is I get on, I have a chat with different Celtic fans, Celtic podcasters, just anyone basically who wants to come on have a chat about their lifetime supporting Celtic, what their thoughts are at the current situation at the club, some memorable moments for them. So thanks for jumping on, Gaz. Really appreciate that. No worries, mate. First question for you. The reason I'll do this one is because I go in with an Australian accent into a CSC and you start talking to someone and they go, oh, you're Australian. How'd you become a Celtic fan? So Gaz, what's your story? How'd you become a Celtic fan? Well, basically, um, you know, when when you're born in, I think when you when you're born in Scotland and, and more in, more in particular Glasgow, you know, they call it they call Glasgow the Goldfish Bowl for a reason because you know all eyes are on you. If you're a football fan, you either support Celtic or Rangers, and a lot of people are kind of born into Celtic or Rangers supporting families. My family is more probably mixed, but my dad and my kind of close immediate family were all Celtic fans, so there was never going to be an option. Of, of who he's supporting. Growing up in the 90s, it would have probably been easier to support Rangers because of success. Um, but I was, Celtic was my first love. And, you know, um, I can remember the the season that, that we stopped Rangers for winning 10 in a row. Um, I can remember watching it on the TV and, and my dad coming home and giving us a, a champions flag. And we, were, we stayed three floors up and the, the traffic came from Celtic Park and he's just like, fly that out the window. And you know, flying this champions flag, you know, the, the cars are beating their horns, and you know that's that's my kind of earliest kind of memory of of really kind of getting to love Celtic. Oh, you got to love those sort of stories. That's what that's the sort of thing. It just puts a smile on my face. Like I'm jealous that you've got those memories growing up. Like that's something you hang on to. You tell your kids about in the future and all that sort of stuff. So that's well played by your dad. Well played by you. And yeah, it's um. 
This is great. Like you're spot on though. You're pretty much born into it. You don't really have a choice. And yeah, the nineties was a tough time, especially over here for me. It was we're watching games a month a month late on on tapes, no internet back then. So you go to the CSC, you'd sit there, you watch games, and next thing you know, it's um oh, we lost the league a month ago and we're only finding out now. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I mean, but I mean, just to, just to touch on that, you know, that I remember the, the the old firm derbies as they were known back then because it was Glasgow derbies now. Um, but the old firm games when my dad used to take me to the pub, and there used to be a kind of almost a kind of atmosphere. This was obviously back in the days when people could smoke in pubs and things like that. So there would be a kind of atmosphere in the air, and you you know the the big screen would be down. And as I say, growing up in the nineties, we lost more derbies than we actually won. But those days when when we do when we would win um, against Rangers, you know, they were the days to be kind. Of, they were the days you remembered as well, kind of thing, because we had a big party after. We always had a party after the after the games, win, lose or draw, because that's who we are. But you know, I, I think when you remember those games back then, it felt more of a kind of derby, more more of an edge kind of thing. Yeah, it was more of a cup final sort of thing for you because you have not winning them. So when you win one, you celebrate it like it, you just won the cup. So yeah. Yeah, it was a strange time back then, but you know, we've you go from that to the last twenty years where we've been the most dominant team, fifteen league titles out of twenty. And yeah, it's just night and day basically. And makes me the nineties make me appreciate what we're going through now, what we're doing now, what we're winning. So happy days. So on that, guys, how do you think Ange's doing as a manager? Um, well, to be honest, I think when you look at it. You know, I, I'll hold my hands up, and I was kind of very, very pessimistic when, when very deflated, I suppose, when when the Eddie Howe deal collapsed because I think we'd invested so much into it. With you know, we knew Eddie Howe, we knew how he played football with teams like Bournemouth and things like that. So we were very, very invested in that deal. So when that collapsed last minute, I think the fans were almost like, "Where are we going with this?" Ange Postecoglou's name came up right away, and I'll be honest, I didn't know who he was. Obviously, looked into it and. And eventually, we had um, near the start of my podcast, we had a guy called Scott McIntyre, who you may know is an Australian journalist. And yeah. he came on and he followed Angie's career. And he had really kind of lit the, the touch paper because what he told us about Ange Postacoglu, what to expect from him, you know, that, that kind of calmed a lot of people down because I can remember the one quote that he came away with it was something like they were talking about Eddie Howe and he's saying, nah, Eddie Howe, you know, if you ask any people over, they'll think it's a, a sports brand or something, you know, they'll know, know who Eddie Howe is, but he says, Ange Postacoglu is nobody's second prize. Um, and listen, when you look at it, everything he told me came true, you know, when there was games, when you were 1-0 up, he wasn't going into the corner with the ball, he wasn't trying to waste time, he'd want to get the second goal. And we've seen that in games where where probably the fans have maybe been shouting at the players to go into the corner and waste time. Um, you know, he's just like, no, go for the killer, go for the second goal. And that's that's what Celtic fans want to see kind of thing. So, listen, he's he's, he's done it. He's had a remarkable first season. I was on a, I was on a, a football show, a, a football radio show um, over here in Glasgow called the Go Radio Football Show. And I was talking to the guys maybe about a month before the end of the season. And I says to them, if Ange delivers a League and Cup double in his first season, you know, ask him where he wants the statue built outside. Because that it sounds it sounds a bit kind of pie in the sky stuff, but I think when you look back at the, the start of the season when we were playing players like Dane Murray in defence and Stephen Welsh and we didn't really have a proper team, um, it was just kind of thrown thrown together to, to get from there to now it's just like you know, we as I think Celtic fans are actually going into next season thinking we could do something in the Champions League. To, to consider we've not been in there for five years, that's quite a remarkable kind of statement. Well, it's funny what you say there because I'm going to say and it's very similar to Scott what he said to you, but we told you so. Like honestly, when I was invested in Eddie Howe too, but for me, my second option was David Wagner. That's who I wanted, the former Huddersfield manager. Uh The reason I wanted him is because we had a guy in our Facebook group, I put up a thing, who do you want as manager? And he put up Ange Postacoglu. And I laughed at it and there no chance like the board would would do that. And that was the reason I brushed it off. 
So this bloke said that in, what was it, like April last year, he said it. So that's the one person I knew who called for Ange early doors. Everyone else was like, who's Ange? All of us over here knew him was like, okay, if he's given time and he can get players in, great. But after the Midland results, I was like, is he on a hiding to nothing? Is he being set up for a fail? That's what I was more worried about. But he's gone on, done well, built his team. That actually, in my opinion, wasn't even Ange's team until the January transfer window opened and he got a bit more depth in, in the squad and a few more numbers in. But, yeah, going into Europe next year, I'm all excited. I think we need to strengthen a few spots, which we'll touch on later in the podcast. But, yeah, four or five signings for me and at you try and get guys at a starting level and we're off to the races. We could do something. So. Yeah. I think I think as well, just, just touching on the appointment, the main appointment kind of thing, because he obviously came in when we had a disastrous season, the season before, when you learn in the whole 10 that all saga, you know, it was just, it was a horrific, horrific time at the club. The fans were disconnected from the club. Um, you know, nobody really wanted to go to the games. It was just, there was a, a kind of gap there between um, the fans and the, the, the club. And, and I think, you know, not just... Ange um, has brought us together, but obviously, you know, I think the whole Don McKay when he came in, because when the appointment came about, I think there's still a lot of Celtic fans thinking, right, this could be a Martin O'Neill appointment where it could go absolutely like a dream, or it could be a John Barnes um, saga where, you know, where, you know, there's players fighting in the dressing room and, you know, you're sacked after six months and things like that. Um, so I think, thankfully, they, they, they got it right. Um, in the end and obviously you know the whole Don McKay will never find out what happened there um, very surprising that the, the press haven't kind of almost touched on that and pressed that and th- thought well what really happened because nobody seems to have asked the question but to be fair Michael Nicholson who's came in has done a remarkable job he's back to Ange in the summer, he's back to him in January and um, he obviously seen what was happening, I think helping that, that helping that was winning the League Cup um, at the tail end of last year, um, you know, I think that that kind of gave us a platform to go on. You know, we were a whisker away for a Scottish Cup final, um, but I think overall, I think that the board have got it absolutely spot on. We Ange. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you, Michael Nicholson. The best thing about him is we haven't heard from him. I like that. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to be hearing from the CEO or the chair. <laughs> Gaz has just, you know, had a little earthquake there. Everyone <laughs> now, for me, it's like... I don't, I don't know what happened. I, I look at it and go, the chairman and the CEO, we don't need to hear from them. Yeah. Go, Edward, Edward, why have I was in the comments here? Nicholson is Ange's lapdog. Perfect, <laughs> just keep on the checks. Happy days. Those who are watching, if you want to just join in with some comments or got any questions for Gaz or myself, put them through and we'll touch on them a bit later on. But, yeah, I'm just thinking this is a good little segue for us in terms of with Nicholson, you bringing him up because my question was you is what was what's your take on the club structure at present? For me, I'm looking at it going the less we hear from them, the better. Yeah. And with Eric coming in, finally bringing in his own assistant in Harry Kuehl. He's been bringing in some sports scientists. He's been bringing in recruiters and all this sort of stuff. It's great, but I want to get your view on it. You're over there. You're in the fishbowl, com- well and truly compared to me. So yeah, I, I think I think when you look at it, you know, you touched on the Harry Kuehl appointment. Obviously, that came out of left field. I, I don't think that was ever a possible kind of avenue. But obviously, Ange Ange knows him, and Ange um, is is keen to get him on board. He's obviously going to replace um, Stephen McManus, who goes to the B team. Um, I think that would be probably better for McManus in terms of his management career down the line. Um, you know, that he's, he's, he's going to have more of a say, I think, with the B team uh, rather than the first team. But yeah, delighted to get Harry Kuehl on board. And, and as you say, Ange is just doing things almost on the quiet where, you know, he's he's not, he's very he's a very private guy, as, we, as we've found out this year kind of thing. He doesn't like to shout and ball, um, you know, so he, he likes to get things done on the quiet if he can. And I think when you say about Michael Nicholson, you know, yeah, nobody wants to have uh, a chief executive that, that is always in the papers or always in the headlines for, for something, whether it's good or bad. You, you want him to be in the background. And listen, he's just he's just 
doing his job and he's doing it. Um, he's, he's probably gained a lot more respect from the Celtic fans because the, the previous regime was Peter Lowell and I think as good as Peter Lowell did for the club, there was always going to be fans that was going to be on his back about he didn't spend enough money and he was only lying in his own pockets. But I think we're in a very stable position. I think, as we've touched on, the 10 in a row season was a disaster. Put it out of memory, you know, didn't happen because um, it could have snowballed into consistently losing league titles, losing cups. Rangers could have went on a dominant run. Um, I think they've got to look at themselves in terms of how they've went from a 25-point league winning position to losing the, losing the league by, I think it was four points in the end. But when you look at the money deals that we brought in for players like Odson Edwards, Christopher Ayer, that went to uh, Brent, uh, Brentford and Bournemouth rather, the good thing is about those deals was not only the fees that we received for the players because they didn't really want to be at the club. So you don't want players that, that are just passengers at your club. So I think when you look at it, the good thing was was the added bonus of the clauses in the contract where, um, you know, I think Celtic raked in £7 million at the end of the season there because Brentford stayed up in the Premier League and Bournemouth got automatic promotion, which gave, gives you about £7 million, which basically either um, buys Jota from Benfica on a permanent or, you know, goes somewhat towards paying for Carter Vickers, who we've also got in a permanent. So, that's free money to play with, and that's that's the way we should be conducting our business. If we're selling players on, like Benfica, I think they're asking for a 30% sell-on clause with Jota, absolutely entitled to, um, smart bit of business, because I think Jota is going to be the next big money player to go from Celtic when he, when he signs the permanent, obviously. I'll just jump on what you said there, because you're saying oh, with the £7 million free money there, you also got to look at you got all this talk online, Rangers fans in particular saying, uh, you know, Celtic bought the title, they spent 24 million. Yeah, but we banked 36. So, yeah. so realistically, we're 12 million ahead. So, realistically, that 12 million to me, that's Jodder and Carter Vickers paid for the seven million coming in. There you go. We got that's just that's just you know, money for jam basically. That's extra money we can go out and spend. Possibly got the Champions League money coming in. We're gonna. Soon be seeing, you know, a bit of Scrooge McDuck's jumping off springboards, going for a few minutes and downs, you know, that sort of stuff. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting if we have a few years in a row in the Champions League. And talking on Rangers, like how they lost their point that their points margin, the twenty five points, so it was a twenty nine point swing. Then you look at their squad and it's like they're getting a lot older too. So they're gonna need to regenerate their squad. But yeah. who's really gonna go for a fee? Morelos will they'll think I'll get twenty million for Morelos. I'll be probably get five to eight, in my opinion, for him. So it'll be undisclosed. Tavernier is not going to go for much because of his age. Then you look at it, Kent, but I think they're going to get 25 for him. They'll be lucky to get 10 for him because it's Scotland. Let's be realistic. You're not going to get going down to England. You're not, not going to pay overs for him. So look at those sort of guys, and it's like I don't really see where the money's coming from. They're talking up Bassey as well. Yet, you know. I, I think I think when 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 you say you know um, in terms of the, the valuation, I, I I do think they they will they will probably get double figures for um, Morelos. I think it won't be massive double figures, but I think it will be ten to twelve million. So you're probably not far off the mark there. Um, in terms of, I think Scottish clubs need to start um, putting pride in their own club and and not just bowing down to the clubs in England and saying, all right, we'll accept X amount of money. You know, because you look at the deals for Kieran Tierney and Odson Edward in particular, Jane, like, yeah, with Celtic Rangers and obviously the, the deal that went through today was Calvin Ramsey to Liverpool from Aberdeen for six and a half, rising to eight. That's for a club like Aberdeen, that is amazing, uh, an amazing bit of business. Um, and hopefully that will make them stronger for the coming seasons kind of thing. But, you know, I absolutely think I think Ryan Kent would probably go for about 10, 15 million as well, to be honest. I, I think, you know, Bassey will probably stay. But, I mean, no one has touched too much on Rangers. But I just think that clubs in Scotland have the right now to, I think, the way the national team's going, I think we've got the absolutely right to say to English clubs, show me your money. You know, and and no, just take the first offer kind of thing. 
Well, that's actually why I was I brought that up because I guess I don't want to talk about them. Like I was yeah. saying in the comments, Martin got, got you hundred percent agree. But reason I'm bringing them up is because we've been getting 20, 25 million pound players. They've done it in, at, you know, got to the Europa League final. They're going to start getting some margins. You got Aberdeen bringing them us, as you said. Scottish teams have got to start asking and demanding and getting those fees coming in. Got to stop accepting low ball bids, and we've got a lot of players in our squad as well, which is what which is where this all ties in. That are that are young enough that in a year or two or three, is if we wanted to sell them on, we'll get these same fees that are being bandied about for their players. We'll have them coming in on top of the Champions League money that we we're talking about earlier. So. Yeah. How do you think the recruitment has been over the last 12 to 18 months, guys? Um, I think when you look at, if we go back to summer, if you look at the, the deadline day, I think there was a deadline day trio signing of, if I'm right, Carter Vickers, Jota and Jackie Marcus, which at the time probably might not have seemed like a big deal. But to be honest, when you look at the spine of that team, that's the three players have, have been so instrumental in when winning us the league and the League Cup, you know, um, Carter Vickers, unbelievable player, you know, how how he's not got a team down south and I'm talking championship club, a League One club, how nobody was sniffing about him, I don't know because he, it's easy, maybe it's easy to say because he's playing up in Scott, the Scottish League and it's not the best league and it's not the most uh, thought, most thought of league kind of thing when you look at other leagues in Europe, but you know, Jota, I think Jota might have been a bit of a risk. You know, youngster coming over, might not have adapted to the Scottish game. He has absolutely lit the place up, honestly. And one of the iconic images, I suppose, if you look back in last season, was the Leo Labada goal against Dundee United when he crossed the ball in for Abada, but then decided to jump into the fans and was like Christ the Redeemer, I but before they grabbed him. And supposedly that was the moment that... that made him realise I want to be here. You know, I, there's nowhere else I want to play. Jackie Marcus has been a bit of a bit marmite, do you know what I mean? Like, first half of the season, he wasn't really getting going. Missed a penalty against Livingston. Fans were getting tired of him, thinking, does he want to be here? Is he good enough? Don't know what happened over the second half of the season, but he has oh, absolutely blew everybody apart, do you know what I mean? And, and he's, he's backed up his words in February after the Rangers game when you know, when he says we are the best team in Scotland and we are, we've got the best squad in Scotland, it, it went and backed it up because he banged in hat-tricks and braces and all over the place. So they finished joint top goal scorer. So I think when you look at the, the players that obviously came in, Kyogo, massive, massive player, one of the players this season. And um, Ange knows the J-League very well, obviously. And he's obviously tapped into that market that's, that no other manager has tapped into before. There must be so many gems over in the Australian leagues and the J leagues and um, you know and just like there's players that came to Celtic last season that I don't believe were Ange Postacoglu signings Liam Shaw um, Uruguide Liam Scales to mention three I don't believe they're Ange Postacoglu signings um, James I think McCarthy there's another one yeah James McCarthy's never an Ange Postacoglu signing like, I think they were all just stop gaps until the manager got in found his feet and got who he wanted in. But to be fair, the guys he brought in in the summer, um, I know, I know, we, I know, we brought better, no better guys, but as good players in in January, like uh, Rio Hitati, Mike, uh, Matty O'Reilly, um, and players like that, Dyson Maida, things like that, you know, that just add to the team. They don't, they don't mess up the, the team structure. They don't mess up the formation. They just add to it and make it better because those three players in, in particular that came in in January just kind of pushed us on a wee bit you know you, you had I think it was Maeda that scored on his debut against Hibs after four minutes you know Hitati was banging him in against Rangers banging him in against Hearts um, kind of suffered a wee, wee bit of fatigue towards the tail end of the season should have been rested more but you know that's that's up to the manager so I think that I, I can't remember a season where We've brought in so many players and the fans look at all of them and go, there's not a bad player in amongst any of them. You know, they've all so contributed. Likeable. I've said it a few times, but that the majority of the guys coming in, they're just so likeable. Like when, it, yeah. when he, he came in, he banged in goals for his first five games and he's done nothing since. And you're just like, 
don't really like the attitude that you get from him and what you see in body language wise. And then you've got, you know, Barkus old cabbage hands when he come in, he looked just shook up the whole time. So it's like guys like that, you're like, mm, yeah, iffy about, and that's 10 million spend there. But then you look at Joe Hart and you're like, I was iffy yeah. on Joe Hart because I thought, is he going to think he's bigger than the club? It wasn't about mm-hmm. him as a footballer. It was that. And he's come in, he's bought in, and that has been a great signing for us. Guys, like that sort of situation, it's, it's spot on. But, yeah, it's just um, it's been a bit of an interesting one. Like there's so many talented players and they loving the club. And as Andrew said, he recruits for not just talent level, but give me the man who's going to play and be able to buy into it first and then he'll go find the football. And if the football is any good, he'll work with them. Yeah. And I, and I think when when you, you just to touch on that, I mean, you know, Joe Hart, a million pound, you can't buy anybody for a million pound nowadays, Jane. So the the fact that he came in, I, I, I get what you're saying, you know, the, the, in terms of the guy, is his ego bigger than his, than anything? Do you know what I mean? Like, is he going to think, oh, Scottish League, who wants to go up there? Is, was he just coming up here for a payday? No. Um, I, I did say before he played a game that if we can get this, the crowds back into Celtic Park, if we can get 60,000, you know, roaring the team on, um, we could end up with a Joe Hart that was at Manchester City, peak Joe Hart. And yeah. that was a Joe Hart exactly that we got. But as you say, that you know, um, he bought into the philosophy, he bought into the club and he bought into the manager. He, I think it was one chat with Ange that he says he had and he's like, I'm hooked. I'm absolutely hooked. I'm in. And, you know, I know he's been talking to people down south um, and basically, you know, imploring them, come up to Scotland, come up to Celtic because you'll not regret it. Like, I think Joe Hart's probably looking at it now thinking, why did I not come up here sooner? You know, yeah. because I think there was a lot of time missed when he was at Torino, when he was at Burnley, even when he went to Spurs, I think he could have, that's years that he could have been at Celtic and winning trophies, playing in Europe. So, um, yeah, I think he's he's totally bought into it. And listen, he obviously got John Terry up in a Celtic scarf. So that was a, that was probably one of the biggest shocks this season, thinking about John Terry as a Celtic fan. It's a good way to wind up the other mob. <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. They've been in the meltdown, I'll tell you. Yep. So we'll go next question for you. I'm going to th- bring up a question that was sent through by Martin early on because it ties in. So I was going to ask you, which current players at the club do you think will be moving on in the next six to 12 months? Start off with this question from Martin. Do you think Christopher Julian is staying by the looks of it? What do you think is um, going to happen with Julian? Julian's a conundrum because Julian, I was going to speak about when the players that's moving on because it very much looked like Julian was going to move on and, and go back to France maybe. But from what I'm hearing late last night was that he's told Ange Postacoglu that he wants to stay and fight for his place and that he wants to get in either, you know, ahead of Carter Vickers or Starfield, um, which is great to hear because... Listen, we all love Christopher Julian and, and the goals he scored against Lazio, against Rangers. You know that that's the kind of that's the kind of Christopher Julian you want—a big menace at the back and a big menace in the box up front. Um, so uh, time will tell. Whether Ange wants him, it, it's it's up to the manager, obviously. Um, but he wants to stay, apparently. So you know, time will tell on that one. I hope he stays though. For me, I look at it and go, I'm a bit unsure of if Julian fits Ange's type of football because mm-hmm. he's never the, the greatest guy passing the ball around. But he can play that left centre-back, which we need, and he is the tall centre-back because you look at our guys, Starfelt and Carter Vickers are both, what, six foot, six one, something like that. Yeah. Um, Welsh is, what, six foot as well. Dane Murray, if he comes in, he's the tallest at six foot four or whatever. It's six three, six four. So we're pretty small in our centre back spots. You go into Europe, say if you get a team from the Balkans, for instance, they have big tower and strikers. You, they're going to outdo you at corners. So yeah. someone like Julian is the sort that in Europe will be able to help us, and that. But then the way he made those comments before Trophy Day, yeah, I'd, knowing Ange's history. He doesn't stand for that sort of thing. So him coming and speaking to Ange saying he wants to fight for his spot, okay, great. Prove it. Prove that you're the man for that job. You want it, go and win it. Yeah. Because to me, I'm looking at that going, I'm unsure if he's the right sort of player, but 
if he comes back to the form, as you said, against Lazio, then yes, that's the player we need. But then at the same time, I still want us to go and try and get Kawita Kura because he covers off two positions we need to strengthen, which I'll touch on later anyway. But is there anyone else you think will be moving on? Um, I think obviously Barca's been away to Utrecht. You know, Joe Hart has now got the number one jersey um, and the, the, the whole Benjamin Segrist deal is, is very, very close to being completed. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that will either be a permanent move to Utrecht or Celtic will just wrap up his contract. I don't know if his contract is actually maybe up um, at the end of the season, so maybe that will be an issue. But um, for me, I think when you look at it, um, I think you've got players in defence, you've got players in midfield. I think um, Stephen Welsh could possibly go out and loan, gain a bit of, um, I think he can gain a bit of a kind of game time. Um, Liam Scales is another player that's, that's maybe going to Aberdeen, um, reportedly going to Aberdeen either, or Kelly. Um, but I think, you know, Liam Scales is a player I really like. He's, he's, he's obviously not played and I think he's been going through personal stuff that Ange knows about and that's why he's not been in the squad a lot kind of thing he's very much a Johnny Hayes type player where he's a grafter he gets up and down the flank works 100% for the team um, but I don't know if I'll see him starting ahead of Greg Taylor I think Greg Taylor's got that spot nailed down um, in terms of the scales um, I'll jump in there I don't even think we're playing him in his right position He's, no, a lot, of, a lot of yeah. So he should be playing there, but then at centre back, I've just said he, we're too short, and he'd be even shorter again. So yeah, the issue is for us with the level that we're playing at, he's the right player in the wrong body. He needs if he was five or six inches taller, he'd be the exact guy we need. Yeah, yeah, and I think when you look at Juranovic in terms of height as well, he's pretty small as well, kind of thing. So, um, but in terms of other players, it goes. In the summer, um, I think Mikey Johnson, James McCarthy, Albina Yeti, they're all players that really I wouldn't mind if they never pulled another Celtic jersey on again. Johnson's had so many chances. He's he's forever known as the kind of, I don't mean the boy wonder, but just kind of, he's always had this wee kind of tag alongside him where it's it's almost like, you know, he's, he's full of tricks, he's full of flicks and, and he can score goals, but He's too injury prone and he's just, there's something missing for his game. So I think Celtic need to get short of him. Um, as I say, I've mentioned the Seagrass deal, but um, yeah, I, I just I just think there's there's a few players that, that could be heading out. I don't know if actually, I, I'm not entirely sure if Sorrell has gone yet. I know he went out on loan, but I don't know if he went out in a permanent. If he didn't, then uh, Ismaila Sorrell was another one for me that... that could probably head for the exit as well. Came with a wee bit of promise, showed a wee bit, but not enough to, to be in that midfield. Definitely not. Just checking something quickly because Martin in the comments is saying that Liam Scales is 6'3", which I'm finding a little odd because it doesn't look that big when you saw him play. So I believe you, Martin. Don't get me wrong, but if he is 6'3", then maybe he needs to be given a chance. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people saying he's he's playing him out of position kind of thing, and I think maybe maybe the fact that he gets up and down that left flank probably puts him there in terms of obviously you could play play him like a kind of Scotland setup where you know on the left hand side we've got Rob and Tierney on the left, and they both both just switch back and forward in terms of running. But no, as yeah. I say, like um, it, I think in terms of pre season, it'd be good to see Liam Scales maybe get a chance at at centre-back just to see how he copes. Well, yeah, Wikipedia is saying 6-2. Uh, one other thing saying 6-3, as Martin said. So or maybe it's just because when he's on the wing, he's running up and down. He's that gust he's bending over half the time because he's out of breath. <laughs> that's why I thought he was a lot shorter than he is. So I am honestly corrected right there. Let's give him a shot. What's the worst that can happen? We need that, yeah. that left-sided centre-back. He's 6 foot 2 6 foot 3 We've got a guy in-house. Give him a crack. What's the worst that can happen? He goes out there in a preseason game, as you're saying, guys. He struggles and we, and we sell him. If he does well, it could be like the uh, Ryan Christie breakthrough game out at over in Edinburgh that day. Yeah. Happy days. And, yeah, so um, what areas of the team do you think we need to strengthen? We'll, we'll get into that then. Um, I think, I think obviously – Europe, not just for the league. 
Yeah, because I'm thinking, obviously, like the, the whole goalkeeping situation is unusual because, obviously, Scott Bain signed a new deal this season and to extend his contract. Why did we do that? It's very, very, very strange because I thought, like, right, well, he's obviously then gone, you know, that pushes Barkas out to number three and he becomes number two and things like that. But then you're looking in the summer and, and thinking, we've nearly got Benjamin Segrist, who, who has been a fantastic keeper for Dundee United this season, one of the top performers, um, you know, pulled off some amazing saves against Rangers, Celtic, most of the league. Um, and that's, that's what I'm saying, like, it's a great bit of business, but then Scott Bain must be thinking, I've went for the second choice to third choice, I'm never going to get again. So then what does Scott Bain do? Does he just bide his time and hope that he gets in maybe in one of the cup games? Does he get, you know, does he, does Ange Postacoglu maybe think to himself, right, I'm going to keep Joe Hart for Europe and potentially the league and give the two boys the two cups, you know, so put Scott Bain in for the league cup and put um, seeking to stand for the Scottish Cup maybe maybe that's an issue I don't know I, I know a lot of managers down south do it and Pep and Jurgen Klopp obviously do that in the, in the League Cups and FA Cups kind of thing so maybe that's an issue that are uh, a possibility um, centre-back I, th- I still think we need another centre-back I know you're saying Liam Scales you could put him in at centre-back for me that's that's bordering on Celtic thinking we don't need to think <laughs> If he does well at centre-back, Celtic are thinking, well, we don't need another centre-back then because... That's, paid, that's the, the paid of conditioning we've been copping for the last decade or two decades. <laughs> that's what that is. That's yeah. the automatic thinking. We've got someone we signed him from Israel. He's Irish. He's in-house. That's, you know, <laughs> Celtic won't go and sign another player from a position of strength, will we? That's what that is. Yeah, just it ticks, it ticks all the boxes. If there's a player that can that can play in different positions, then ideal. Then we don't need to. Um, in terms of left-back, yeah, possibly get another left-back. I know Alexandra Bernabe is very, very close to signing. Um, I know his agent is saying he's close to signing with a European team in the next couple of weeks. I think Celtic are front-runners. I think we've offered £3.75 million for him. Um, so I, don't, I would be very surprised if he doesn't come to Celtic. And I think that will be the left-back kind of slot covered with Scales and Taylor as, as backup. Juranovic as well can play left-back. Um, Monty as well will be back. Yeah, exactly. And I think, well, Mon- Mon- fun enough, Monty's a, actually a player that I forgot about um, who I kind of actually like. He's probably one of the younger players last season that I really thought he's got he's got a bit of something when I've seen him in the games. I would still farm him out alone, maybe put him back out to Aberdeen. I know... He had his injury problems at Aberdeen last season, so he didn't play as much as he should have done. Um, but I think when you look at the, the gaps that Rogic and Beaton have left us, you know, that defensive mid, attack mid, I think maybe just get a, a player with a bit of flair that can play in Tom Rogic's usual position. I think um, you need a big, tall, strong guy. Um, I'm not even sure nationality-wise who you would go for, but um, just somebody that's commanding and that can play that defensive mid and they can they can mop up any kind well, of loose balls. The can... player I want for that. <laughs> I, want that? Us to get, I want us to get some big... I always look at it and go, you want a Patrick Vieira type, a big, tall defensive midfielder, right? Yeah. Or uh, Milinkovic Savic, the Serbian guy from Lazio. That's the sort of guy you want. Like, we're not going to get that player, but we, I think we need someone in that build because with Bitton moving on and Rogic moving on, we're pretty short in the midfield. So I'd rather yeah. have a bit of height, a bit of, you know, a bit of size there. But for me, yeah, I agree with pretty much all the positions you've said there. I think we need another centre-back. The goalkeeper situation, I was worried that if long-term it's going to be Toby Oluwemi that will be taken over from Joe Hart. Let's be honest. That's yeah. the plan. If it works out properly, that's what we want to get to in two or three years' time. But until then, Segris is good to have because if we had a massive drop-off – and Hart got injured, and we yeah. go from Hart to Bain in the Champions League game. I wouldn't. I'd just be like, "Hmm, you better put in me in goals," <laughs> because, like, it's just I just don't rate the guy. So I'm glad Segrist comes in that fixes that. Yeah. Left back situation, Bernabe. Yeah, he looks all promising. He looks like and just an and sort of player. My question with him is, he's coming in. 
because the way we did with Juranovic with Rolston, good league level, but then having a Juranovic over the top who's European level, that's great. We do the same now. Taylor's good enough domestically, and he's improved that he could be that European guy, but you bring in someone over the top, great. That automatically strengthens the squad. My one concern with Bernabe is Taylor gets caught out at corners and stuff all the time because of how small he is, and Bernabe is actually shorter than him. Yeah. That's the one concern I have. Blistering pace, so could suit Andrew's system perfect. But does that mean he's a Diego Laxalt type? I don't know. I'm a bit do, iffy. Do, 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 you think we need a, do you think we need another striker possibly if a Yeti goes? No. Do you think we're, we're pretty okay up there? I think we're okay because we've got Kyogo, we got Jack yeah. and Mackers, uh-huh. and then push comes to shove, third string striker is Maida. He comes in off the wing. Yeah. Then Jocker goes over to the left wing. Then Abada comes into the right wing, uh-huh. and you're laughing because you've still got James Forrest backing up Abada. You've still, and then on the left wing, for an option there, if you have someone like Monty who could play as a winger or as a wing back, or if you've got Mikey Johnson still around the squad, you're fine there. You've got enough depth through your wings to cover Maeda going forward. So I think we're fine up the front there. I think the the issue is defensive midfield, centre-back, left-back. They're, they're your key spots still to go. And the reason I want a defensive mid is because I want to push Kelmack one forward. I don't even think we need to replace Rogic. You've got Turnbull and how well he played early on. You've got O'Reilly. Kelmack can jump into that spot as well if need be. But then you've got Kelmack and Hatate who can play those roles. You've got Itaguchi to play as a defensive midfielder, but who else do you have there? In Europe, I don't want Kelmack in that spot. I want him playing one spot further forward. Yeah. So that's why defensive mid's more more important than a than a number ten. Yeah, I quite like I quite like you mentioned Abada there. I quite like Abada actually um, as a kind of false striker kind of thing because he played like that a few games for us and and I thought he almost kind of looked more comfortable in that position. You know, I can remember watching him against uh, I think it was Boxing Day against St Johnson. Um, I can't remember if he scored the hat trick that day. He might have done, um, but he definitely got two and he just looked so comfortable through the middle and that was in a dreadful park in dreadful conditions. So. Um, yeah, as you say, I think I think probably inclined to agree that we're probably okay up front, even if we lose a Yeti. Um, you well, know, he didn't I, play last season. He did nothing, so we're not really losing anything from the squad. Exactly. I think he played one game, if you're lucky. I think he might have played in Europe early on against Betis, if I'm did right in thinking. When, did he play when we had all the injuries just before Christmas, or was he injured then as well? I think he might have been injured then as well, but um, we had I, think, I think a Yeti... Yet. Yeti, I only remember playing against Betis, and I think he actually had a decent game, and that was the last we've seen of him. Um, but no, as I say, I, d- I don't think he's he's a player that that looks as if he's going to be at Celtic much longer. To be fair, fair enough. So, you got anything else you think we need to do on the squad side of it before we get into the fun Gaz stuff? Um. No, not really. I mean, obviously, it'll be interesting to see what Harry Kuehl brings to the table in terms of the coaching side, because a lot was made of Ange coming over himself, you know, and not having any backroom staff. And I think a lot of Celtic fans were a bit wary about that because of their opinions of the likes of Gavin Strack and John Kennedy and things like that. So I think they were very, very wary of, right, well, maybe these guys were the problem. Um but when you look at it, I think Ange is very much like... The thing I like about Ange as well this season is when he's won awards for himself, he's won Manager of the Month, I don't know. I think actually from January, he won it five months in a row, for the last five months in a row, which is unheard of. It's never been done, I don't think. Yeah. And the thing I liked it's about it was... It the season, I think it was. I, and I think I think it was like um, he, he would always get his coaching staff into the photo. He would always get... Every every kind of member, whether it's sports scientists, whether it's fitness coaches, whether it's under twenty ones, he wants everybody in the photo with him because I don't know if it's just it it doesn't like to be kind of it, it doesn't take compliments well. I don't believe he's he's very much like no 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 it's not me. I seen an interview him an extended interview in, on Sky Sports and he says when the whistle goes and he's standing in the dugout and he almost looks at himself as if to go. I'm, I'm almost expecting somebody to come and say, right, come on, mate, back to your seat and 
you know, and like as if I don't belong here, and that's what I'm saying. It's it's so he's so humble and so likable kind of thing. I can remember a, a, a Celtic manager that's been so liked probably since Martin O'Neill, I would say. Um, so no, as I say, I don't think there needs to be anything done, but it would just be very interesting to see how Harry Kiel kind of approaches things and how the team changes next season, how it evolves. Yeah, I see Harry coming in more as a kind of feel that Damien Duff sort of role that he had, where he was yeah. the ex-pro there who, you know, if guys want to come and ask him, oh, so this happened in your career, you know, with injuries that Harry went through and all that, how did you manage that mentally? How did you get through it? How did you get back? With all the stuff he went through, that'd be a perfect sort of guy to, to learn from and have as a resource there. Plus he's been decent as a, as a manager so far in terms of, not in terms of win losses, but he's had a few decent jobs in the lower leagues in England. So he's got a bunch of games behind him. And the other thing is, if you've got guys like Abada, Jota, Maida, Kyogo, wanting to learn off a guy who's won the Champions League yeah. and has done and been to multiple World Cups like Harry, that's a great opportunity for them to go to the learning tree and just sit underneath it and go, all right, Harry, sprinkle some knowledge on me. What do you got for me today? Yeah, just from absolutely. here and there, it's gonna it's gonna improve them as players. So, yeah, it'll be good to see what happens. And um, you know, Harry hasn't actually worked with Ange before, so they've got to develop that relationship too. Yeah. Now, guys, for the fun times, who would be your all-time favorite Celtic player other than Henrik Larsson, and why? Um. Well. There's, there's been so many players that I've loved at Celtic um, throughout my life. You know, players, great servants to the club like Rogic, Beaton, Emilio Ezeguere, players like that. Um, not always flash players, but just players that get a job done um, when they're asked and play a position if they need to. Um, growing up in the 90s, I loved Simon Donnelly. Um, absolutely loved him. would replicate his goals, do the commentary, that sort of thing. Um, so if he was always one of my favourites, but I, I can't not mention this guy. Absolutely one of the, the greatest Celtic captain in my lifetime, Scott Brown. 14 years at the club, so many honours. You know, you'd lose, lose track of fingers and toes if you were counting all his, all his trophies. He's gave us so many magical moments. The Bruni celebration he gave us, um, and just so happens it was against Juf, which made it even better. The The... The kind of the handshake against Joey Barton in the first derby back um, when Rangers got promoted from the low leagues. Um, you know, that first handshake where Joey, I think the image is Joey Barton is actually looking at the ground and Scott Brown is looking. Like, is, there, is there a crack there or something I can just hide in? Or do it up and go away behind or something? Yeah. And Scott Brown is just staring a hole through his head, just like staring straight at him. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. And, um, as I say, he's gave us so many brilliant goals. I, I can remember a late winner at home at Hamilton, of all teams, you know, I think we won the game 1-0 or 2-1. Um, we scored in the 90th minute. Rangers dropped points that night. Um, you know, the, the goal at Rugby Park that, that helped us win the league. So there's been so many. And, and he's been a great servant to the club. He's, because he came to Celtic for £4.5 million for Hibs. And it was almost a bit Ryan Porteous-like where he was a wee bit of hothead, needed kind of tamed. And I don't believe, I, I would have liked to have seen Porteous come to Celtic at one point, but I just think there's too much trouble with him, there's too much baggage, and I don't think Ange wants that kind of player at the club. So, um, but, but Scott Brown reminds me of Ryan Porteous because that's the player I thought we were getting. I thought this could, this could go horribly wrong. But I think he quickly kind of Tommy Burns took him under his wing and things like that. And I think he quickly adapted to being at Celtic and then obviously getting the captain's armband. Massive moment for him. And, you know, he, he really kind of stood... He kind of stood almost like... Very much like Billy McNeil. I, th I think he took a lot for, for the great Billy McNeil and how to behave on and off the park as a Celtic captain. I know there was a... <laughs> I know there was a night off when... I don't know if you've seen the images of him going through Edinburgh. He was photographed at three in the morning, slumped in an alley, eating a kebab. Um, you know, and the papers made so much more of it than it should have been. But, you know, 
if that's the worst, then they've gotten Scott Brown, and you know it's, it's absolutely nothing. Um, for me, Scott Brown, absolutely legend of the club, kind of thing. Yep. So with that in mind, then who would be your top five all-time players that you have seen play for Celtic in your lifetime? If you can't do it that, or you want to diff- do it differently, name your all-time Celtic five-a-side team. You got two options on how you want to tackle this. Um, well, I've just went to the top five players that I, that I've seen playing for Celtic, and obviously one I've mentioned, one of my heroes growing up, Simon Donnelly. Um, you know, actually, I, I, I bumped into him in the supermarket a, a few weeks ago, and it, he had his hat on, and I didn't really know it was him, and I was kind of like, but that way, it just kind of caught me in the corner of my eye, and I was like, I actually felt like I was following him about the supermarket at one point because. It was that way. I didn't know if it was him, and I didn't want to go up to him in case it wasn't him. Um, but eventually, I went up and I started speaking to him. So it was it was absolutely brand new. Um, another player for me, um, Jackie McNamara. Absolutely love Jackie. What he's been through recently, obviously his health, and it's great to see him. You know, up and up and at it kind of thing. Um, I'm disappointed that he's no playing in the Masters, um, but I can understand why he's not kind of thing. I'd love to have seen him pull on the hoops again. The magnificent seven, Henrik Larson. I don't know what more can be said about the guy. Um, yeah, even when he, he even when he came back with Barcelona, you almost almost applauded the goal when he rounded he rounded the keeper and and tucked it away. And, um, so as I say, Henrik's just. I, I just wish we'd got him sooner. I just wish we'd got him like as a, a youngster, and it it spent his life at Celtic Jane because. He's, it's very unusual to see a player now, I think, that, that spends so long at the one club. It's, it's loyalty is getting out the window. You look at Paul Pogba, you look at Romelu Lukaku, for instance, you know, they're just jumping about from club to club, filling their pockets, you know. So, jerseys, that's what we call it over here. Uh, I just don't like players like that. I, I don't have any respect for them at all, but Larson's definitely makes my top five. Um, Lubo Miravchik, absolute genius, another player. We should have got when he was younger. Um, I was at a, I was at a, an evening at, in Glasgow. Um, it was Martin O'Neill evening, and some of these ex-players were there. And Lubo was there, and he's still he's very very much still Slovakian. You know, and his his English is still quite broken, and but he's so funny because he doesn't mean to be funny. He's just he's an unconscious comedian. I think you call it. You know, and like he's just so funny with the the things that he says and story he tells. I can remember. Obviously, the goals at Ibrox, you know, when he, he turned the defender inside out and we won 3-0 that day. I think Larson may, might have got his 50th goal of the season that day. Um, but I can remember being at Celtic Park, we're playing Hearts, and I can't remember for the life of me who whipped the ball across. Maybe Tom Boyd, for instance. He whipped the ball across, diagonal ball across, but when I don't know how many feet up there. And Miravchik is out in the byline and he's just waiting for it. He's waiting for it to come down. And there's nobody near him, and it just turns in his backside and traps the ball, and then runs, goes in the maze, run down the wing, and the fans were actually the fans were on their feet, absolutely one of the best things I've seen in a football pitch, honestly, absolutely phenomenal. And final player, um, another player who I wish had stayed longer, but I think he was getting homesick or whatever. Gary Hooper, I think he could have been very prolific like Henrik. I think he could have he could have broke all sorts of records. Had he stayed at the club, um, so I'm gutted that he went when he did. But he was a fantastic player. Obviously, against Hearts, I think he scored four goals against Hearts in the final game of the season one year um, under Neil Lennon. Um, what a player! Had a great relationship with Anthony Stokes partnership. Um, you know, and as I say, just you look at Celtic teams throughout the years and you you pick players out and put them into a different team. And I would have loved to have seen Gary Hooper. And like, you know, a, a team with, um, t- in today's team, with a player like Kyogo or a, a player, a, a Brendan Rodgers team, do you know, like, yeah, for me um, it was or even, even Larson or Sutton, if he was in a team with Larson or Sutton, I just think, you know, I would have loved to have seen him in, in a different Celtic team kind of thing. Yep. What are some of the most memorable games that you've seen Celtic play and what's so memorable about those games? Um, well, the... I've kind of listed them into derbies, um, league deciders, and then European nights because, in terms of the derbies, probably one of the the earlier ones I remember is um, 
Rangers, when we drew with Rangers to each Ibrox in a New Year's Day game or New Year game in 1999. Remember Alan Stubbs opened the scoring at Ibrox. Um, Gabriel Amato equalised, and then I think Rod Wallace took the lead before. And I'll always, this is for some reason, I don't know why, but this is a moment I always remember the equaliser for Celtic because Lubo Maracic had a shot for about 25 yards and put some swaz on it. If, honestly, if you've not seen it, go to YouTube. It is phenomenal. He puts some swaz on the ball. It smashes off the underside of the bar. Anthony Emmy, who was the Rangers keeper at the time, cannot get anywhere near it. Jumps back up. Larson, I think, out, out jumps Perini or Amoruso. And the ball goes into the side net and then Niemi is scrambling across, ends up in the back end of it with the ball and Larson moves away to the Celtic fans and we were denied a stonewall penalty. The most stonewall penalty you're likely to see in these games, unbelievably. And nothing changes, Jane. Like the, the referees were just as, as bad back then as they are now kind of thing. But then there's like obviously derby games like, you know, we beat Rangers 6-2, the demolition derby, Martin Neal's first season, Chris Sutton, um, Bagsa, a double, so does Larson. Um, you know, that was a, an amazing day as well because of the dominance I think Rangers had going into the games. Um, and then when you look back t- towards a, a few years ago, just in, under Brendan Rogers, when we beat Rangers 5-1, the game I was mentioning, Moussa Dembele stepped up to play, scored the hat-trick, and then the 5-0 when we win the league um, against Rangers. That was... I've, I, I'm never confident going into... Rangers Celtic games, but that morning I can remember waking up and I says, I says to my family, we went went to watch a game and I says to them, we are going to smash him the day. And I've never said that before. And I says, if we don't stick five or six past them, we'd as well chucking it because they're rank rotten and and their heads will be down. I think it was near the end of the season anyway. Um, and we went five nil up after fifty minutes. I think Rogic scored um a couple of minutes into the second half and. That was my only disappointment about that game was that we didn't do didn't double figures. We should have done double game. figures. Yeah, I remember that game. We're just sitting there and it's like, yeah, that'll do. Five, <laughs> five, five. Cool, let's just you know manage the game rather than, all right, let's go. If that was Ange now, we'd be pushing for six, seven, eight, nine. He'd be pushing on. Yeah. It was like, let's just maintain the margin. Absolutely. And league deciders, you know, I remember the – Tommy Twist, Tommy Turn season 2008, went up to Tanadice, last game of the season. And the, the great thing about that was that it was all day just to build up to it, the build up to it in Glasgow because Rangers could have won it, Celtic could have won it, Rangers went to Aberdeen, obviously lost 2 0, Novo got sent off even better. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Big Venegur scored the only goal of the game and the, seeing the helicopter hovering over Tanadice. I think we had a lock-in that night in the pub. Um, I can't remember coming home. It was, it was a phenomenal night. But equally, on the flip side, I suppose, um, a game I was probably proud of was a league decider in 2003 when we beat Kilmarnock 5-0 at Rugby Park. Alan Thompson missed a penalty. Um, you'll not forgive me for saying that, but he missed a penalty, which would have taken the league decide it, it would have taken it to a playoff between Celtic and Rangers because we would have finished equal goals, which would have been phenomenal in itself. Um, but I can remember we were just back from Seville. We'd played, I don't know how many games, a ridiculous amount of games. And we'd ended trophyless. And I can just remember feeling so proud of the team for what they'd given us that season. The, the run to Seville, I think we went, we reached the League Cup final and got robbed against Rangers. Um, you know, So, as I say, absolutely phenomenal, phenomenal season. But the Euro Knights, you know, Listen, you've got the games against Lazio uh, where Julian scored at Celtic Park. Uh, Olivia Cham scored the winner in Rome. Absolutely phenomenal scenes. Absolutely. Scenes I'll never forget. But I was at the Celtic Bayern Munich game last time we were in the Champions League. Uh, I think it was Coleman. Coleman scored to get Bayern the lead. Um, and then Callum McGregor got a ball from James Forrest, went through, Meg the keeper, and the place I've never heard the noise like it inside Celtic Park. The place went bananas. And then three minutes later, Martinez scores for Bayern and puts, puts all the, the uh, rights to wrong. But, you know, I think getting back to the Champions League nights, I really want the best teams. I've heard a lot of Celtic fans give it, you know, um, oh, if we get 
if we get Bayern and we get Barcelona and we get such and such, we'll get smashed. And I'm like, who cares? We're there and we're there for six games, like it or lump it. You know, you make the most of it. Ah, it'd be good to get teams that you can beat in the Champions League, like lesser teams, I suppose. But how good is it when you get a team like a full-strength Barcelona, a Bayern Munich, a Borussia Dortmund, and you beat them at Celtic Park and the feeling you get with, with yeah, accomplishing that? Fortress Park and bring it back. Absolutely. Make it make it a fortress again, do you know what I mean? Like start winning games, start remaining unbeaten kind of thing. The thing for me with that, on that that point to say quickly is I want to see, I want a Real Madrid or I want someone at that level, okay? But then I want us to have a have a crack at it so that for us to improve in Europe, the key thing for me is if we can finish second in our group, great, and stay in after after the you know the winter break, fine. Yeah. But if we go, even if we finish third and drop down into the Europa League, I want progress in terms of if we go into the Europa League, I want to get into, I want to win that knockout. I want to break that duck. It's been too long. If we go past one round of that, then we're off to the races. But for me, I want I want a couple of big names to come, but then I want someone we can beat to get that third spot. That's what I want in, in an ideal draw. Yeah, absolutely. Because as you say, you, you know, you're, you're always, you're never going to, you're never going to get any better um, if you keep playing rubbish teams in Europe or lesser teams in Europe. So if you play like, um, if you play like, say, um, you know, a full strength Bayern Munich or a Real Madrid, and yeah, you might get beat. But if you get beat trying to play football and trying to win a game, you say you get beat 2-1 two, two, one, or 1-0 one, or whatever, then that's fine. I think the fans accept that. But it's it's obviously when you, you get teams like PSG and we get smashed 7-0 and things like that last time. And it's not easy. It's not easy to watch and it's not great to watch. But I think you, you look at these players that play at Celtic Park and you think, I've seen him play live. I've seen him play live. Jetting like phenomenal players like... Um, you know, Messi and Ronaldo and things like Ronaldinho, Buffon, um, and Zaghi, that sort of thing. So yep. I think I think it's it's great to see these players just play at Celtic Park. Yeah, it's one of those things you always say it, it's about the levels and what you're just touching on there is yeah, these guys are at the top of their game. So you get that exposure. A guy like Matt O'Reilly, for instance, yeah. he's gonna learn so much in ninety minutes playing against those guys then he'd learn so much more in that 90 minutes than he'd learn over a whole season of Conference League or Europa League football. So that will be good for him. And then, you know, if we can beat, improve our level the second time around we play these teams and get that second or that third spot, great, perfect, then we stay at it. And what that does is what we are saying earlier about recruiting for Europe. If you're doing well in Europe and the players are getting their standards up to a higher level there, they come back to the league, that'll take care of itself. Absolutely, and, and that's what I'm saying. It's, it's listen, I, I, don't, I don't really... When when Rangers reached the Europa League final there and, and obviously lost to Frankfurt in penalties, um, I was more relieved, I suppose, because when you live in Glasgow, it's constantly like shoved in your face if, if the other team does well. And my thinking was, during, the, during that game... I was like, God, if we win this, I'm thinking, I'm not going to believe it, able to leave the house for six months. Um, you know, they'll be in the Champions League, they'll be in pot one, they'll have that money, they'll have this, they'll have that. And it starts to put doubts in your mind. They lose, obviously, the Europa League final. So they've lost potentially all that money. But it's 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 teams, it's, it's seeing teams like Celtic and Rangers doing well in Europe and getting to finals and, and reaching knockout stages of Europe, as I say, that makes the league better. It, it gets our coefficients up kind of thing. Um, but just purely from a rivalry point of view, I definitely did not want to see them win the Europa League. Um, I don't buy into all this if a Scottish team gets into a European no final. Like, aye, if, if, listen, if Aberdeen or Mullabell or Hearts or Hibs get into a European final, yeah, absolutely back them. But no, but no one it's your rivals. No one it's exactly. your rivals. I'd, I'd expect fully the same from them. If we got to a European final again, I'd fully expect them to be praying that we get beat, you know, because that's just the way it should be. Of course, 100% agree with you on that. So what we'll do then, because you're talking about players that you've seen play, last question I was having, I'm going to set the, the groundworks for you, Gaz. Celtic has, 
unlimited resources. We've been, you know, we've got some chic or something funded us. So wages, transfer, everything, not an issue at all. You don't have to you don't have to worry about transfer fees. You don't have to worry about financial fair play, none of that. So basically, we're pretending we're Rangers in the 90s with the EBTs. So who would be the one player that you have seen play in your lifetime and wish that Celtic signed them other than Messi or Ronaldo? Um, so probably I would go back maybe to kind of, I would say, mid-2000s, I would suppose, I would say. And, um, I mean, I've seen some phenomenal players play like Thierry Henry, um, you know, Buffon and and players like that, as you say, Messi and Ronaldo. Um, Paul Scholes, I think, was, was a phenomenal player to, to see live. Um, but for me, um, I think it's going to be Ronaldinho or, or Del Piero. I think probably I'd be pushing more towards Ronaldinho. Um, favourite, never happened player. There you go. <laughs> I think. Um, I think when I look back at that Juventus game, you know the goal, the free kick Del Piero scored against us, absolutely tore us to pieces that night, Jane, and really, really struggled against them. Um, but Ronaldinho, for me, he just he's just an absolute baller. He's just an absolute legend of the game. You know who who could forget that free kick for Brazil against England, um, yeah. two thousand two, and. Um, a goal against Chelsea when he, I still don't know if this day what he done with his feet, um, when he was he was dancing with his feet and then just dinked it in the bottom corner, um. So for me, yeah, probably Ronaldinho would be a bit um, going towards. Funnily enough, um, I was actually asked before if if I could bring anybody to Celtic that, I've, that you know in my lifetime a player that you know as you say blank checkbook and. He actually laughed because when I said it, because this is a guy that's obviously spent his life doing in England at various clubs. Um, he's won every honour down there, including the European Cup. Um, he's an absolute grafter of a player, James Milner. For me, oh, yeah. I would I would have loved to have seen James Milner, Pete James Milner, up here in that midfield with Scott Brown. I think that would have been phenomenal, Pim. Yeah, wouldn't have thought of that. So, guys, what we'll do is we'll leave the podcast there. We'll wrap it up. Thanks for uh, jumping on and having a chat. Um, no worries, man. Where they can find you on the socials and your podcast. Yeah, so basically Celtic FC Appreciation. Um, we're on the podcast on Spotify and Apple Music, wherever you download your podcasts. Um, and uh, obviously great numbers on Facebook, but we're really pushing the YouTube kind of thing. But um, you just set up Celtic FC Appreciation. Um, and obviously I've got your you guys, um, your link to your podcast on the page now anyway, so hopefully get you a few more viewers and a few more fans kind of thing. Yep, sounds good. Thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. No Enjoy worries. the sensation. Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.